Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. My guest today is Dean Shapiro, CEO and founder of Invisit. Invisit is a company in the privacy space, so we will be talking about privacy today. Privacy is a very interesting topic. I understand why not everybody immediately goes, privacy, that sounds like something I'm really excited about. But in reality, it can be one of the greatest risks that your company faces if you're running an e-commerce property or if you're significantly engaged in any kind of digital activities. So it might not sound like the sexiest topic in the world, and Dean, forgive me if you think it's the sexiest topic in the world, <laughs> but in fact, it's something that you really need to know about, and Dean was going to share with us stories of a few companies who faced major fines as a result of not being on top of privacy, because there's a lot of things about privacy that are changing, and that's really why we need guys like Dean, because if you're like me, you don't wake up every morning thinking about what's changing privacy regulations, but Dean does. That's why he's here, and he's going to tell us what we need to make sure that we're paying attention to around privacy. So before we really dive in, Dean, I want to turn it over to you and just ask you to give us a little bit more about you, your background. What else should folks know about you before we really dive into the topic? Well, the first thing that they should know is I'm probably one of the only people in the world that does find privacy compliance sexy, so no harm, no foul. That's my job, right? That's why I'm here. No one else has to find it as interesting as I do. I've been in the data and the data targeting space for really my, my whole career at this point, originally building kind of like a marketing technology uh, startup company. And I spent the last several years at Hearst, which is a large media company in the US, headquarters in New York City, building out their data targeting practice, essentially their data targeting business. I did that until late 2019. And in late 2019, we started seeing the headwinds of the California Consumer Privacy Act, the really, really the first ever US-based privacy law, which came to fruition the following year. And when the early signs of what was to come from CCPA as it's coined, as I'll probably reference in this podcast, it seemed pretty clear that everything about how personalization and data targeting in the realm of you know driving customers and driving digital transactions was going to change rapidly. So that's when I left Hearst to go start building out my venture, uh, originally in the data targeting space. But over the summer, we switched our focus to compliance and privacy management. And the reason for that, which I think is one of the most overlooked and under-discussed topics of privacy is that the major marketing platforms like Facebook and Google are now requiring privacy compliance themselves. Meaning if, you wanna, if you're a business owner and you want to advertise and drive customer acquisition on Facebook, on Instagram, you need to put in these entirely new privacy technical framework on your site just to use their platform. And if you don't, They'll penalize your marketing campaigns by not showing your advertisements to large swaths of users, often without you realizing it. So when these new rules came out, we realized, wow, there's, there's a lot of money at stake for non-compliance here. And mm. it's really not being discussed at all. It's really not being addressed in market. Here's the mission we need to double down on. And that's what we do today. That's what Invisit focuses on. Protection against financial loss from privacy, making sure you're compliant and as a result, not losing money from non-compliance. 
Yeah, great. Makes sense. Now, let me start with a very basic question that I'm guessing some people listening may have. We've heard a lot about various data breaches, security problems that cause, you know, personally identifiable information to be sent into the hands of the wrong people and huge fines and huge negative reputation consequences on big companies. But that can be maybe a security issue. So perhaps you can just make a distinction for the folks listening. How do you draw the distinction between the world of security and the world of privacy? Yeah, I, I always say it's the different sides of the same coin. And Howard, I'll give you credit for this. Before this podcast, one of the perfect uh, summaries of it is cybersecurity is to stop the bad actors from doing bad things. Privacy is first to stop the good actors from accidentally doing bad things. <laughs> that is so perfectly articulated because cybersecurity is all about protection, like you just described, against data breaches, against some outside entity looking to inflict harm. Privacy is all about giving your customers, your site visitors, optionality on what you collect about them. So it's more about empowering your current customer base and who you're tracking, who you're uh, monitoring, whether it be like Google Analytics or targeting, giving them control to say, you know what, I'm actually not comfortable with this. Uh, I want to opt out or, hey, I want to know what you're actually collecting on me. Please provide a list of how you intend to use my personal information. So it's much more about, again, same concept, top level, but more about empowering your customers to have access over these things. Right. And making sure that your employees are not actually doing things that are either illegal or which violate your terms and conditions or other things. It's really about making sure that you yourself are not doing things which violate what you should be doing with your customers' data, which is a little different from security where you're protecting yourself from what external parties might, as you say, bad, bad actors might be trying to do. So yeah, no, that's helpful. And I think that's a good way of thinking about it. If you said to me, what are the kind of key things that I'm hearing from clients and what are people thinking about about privacy? I would kind of think of three categories. And I wonder if you see it this way, or maybe you have other categories or whatnot, but I think of three key things. And I'm also curious your thoughts about the relative importance of these three things. The first and most traditional thing that I hear people talk about is privacy to make users comfortable. The idea that you know customers may be concerned about the fact that you're handling their confidential data. And we want to make sure that we have the right policies in place and that we're communicating and we're doing the things so that our customers will be comfortable essentially providing us the data that we need. So that'll be one area that's important in privacy. Then the second, which you alluded to some of a moment ago, and I want to dive in more deeply, is regulatory. Even if your customers aren't worried about it all, because of increasing numbers of laws, and of course, in Europe, we have GDPR, which I'm sure you're going to talk about, and then we have CCPA, and there are some other laws. And I'm interested as well in, in, the, in our time together today and looking at what you think the future might be with the new uh, government in terms of where these regulations may head even beyond California in the United States. But the second is just making sure that you aren't in violation of the law and putting yourself in legal jeopardy. And the third is more ecosystem related. A lot of companies are dependent on advertising or other means that use customer data and as large platforms like Google or Facebook or retargeting platforms or platforms like iOS or Android or some browsers like Chrome and Safari start implementing new policies which block you from doing things that you might previously have done, your business is at risk because somebody else has made a decision about privacy which stops you from using a tactic that might have been important to your revenue generation and you need to be starting to think about it. 
to me, those would be the three. And I'm hoping we can get into each of those areas in our time today. But I'm curious, do you think that's the right model? Or feel free to correct me or, or, or adjust what I just said or add more to it. Or, and also between those, what do you think are the most important ones? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. That Those are the three main things to consider. And maybe something else that's kind of the, uh, you can either look at this as its own category, or I kind of look at it as more of like the fabric aligning all three. It's uh, the notion, it's become kind of like a, a buzzword in privacy, but it's called data mapping. And that's understanding where your data lives. So that way, when you have to respond to either a consumer request for you know their own trustworthiness, if they want to see what you have collected about them, or you are subpoenaed or, or have to go to some regulatory events where you have to provide information on what you're collecting, or it's simply a business tactic on like what data you had that you want to use in Facebook to show target customers, maybe repeat customers, uh, loyalty member ads or something like that. It's knowing what and where your data is. So, mm-hmm. so in my mind, it's kind of like the stitching between all three of those. And I would say all three of those categories are equally important. The latter two being financially. Actually, you could think of it all, all three being financially related to the last two being most direct, either in fines or sales loss and marketing campaigns pausing. And mm-hmm. the first obviously being customer trust and how willing mm-hmm. they are to do business with you. Yeah. Well, I certainly felt when I talked to clients about these issues or when they raised them that many people think the first one is the most important one, the customer perception. And we do a lot of research with customers around understanding their needs and concerns and fears and essentially what will get them to do business with a company online and what will hold them back. Of course, privacy is only a teeny tiny slice of that. We're looking at so many different things. But what I've regularly observed is customers very often don't care as much about it as people are worried that they do. And I would almost suggest that maybe that's the, I don't mean that no customer cares about it, but if I ask 10 customers how concerned they are about it, nine out of 10 would give me a very low score. What I often hear is, I probably should be more concerned about it, but I'm not. I just want my social media. I just want my convenience. I just want my stuff delivered in two days by Amazon. And I'm not, honestly, I'm not really losing sleep about what the heck they're doing with my data. So I would almost put that one as the lowest. And I think that's important because for a lot of companies and they're thinking, I think it's the highest. And these other two, and I think the two that I know you and I have talked about before, the regulatory one and the the world is about to change and you're going to get bit if you don't have an alternative plan for how you're going to do your marketing when these ecosystems start to prevent you from using customer data or using platforms that use customer data in the way you have. I think these are actually the bigger risks. That's my view anyway. Yeah. No, I agree with you. The only uh, counterpoint is, I, I first of all, I completely agree that like 9 out of 10 of consumers, they don't care. And that's why it's so good that steps are being taken from the regulatory side. However, that one out of 10 who cares, really cares. <laughs> they mm-hmm. care a lot if they're going to go through the process of requesting deletion, access, and other CCPA rights. So it's less about the 9 out of 10 who don't care, but making sure you're not going to piss off that one who really does. And making sure right. like you can keep them happy, giving them optionality. So that's why I always tell the people, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Most people opt in. And, and GD, which we'll touch on later, uh, one segue now, GDPR has much stricter laws than the United States does right now. You have to actually opt in. You have to say, yes, I am okay with this site taking my data and that data can't be collected until you say that. Everyone opts in. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, so much to dive into. We're going to talk about GDPR, CCPA, ABCDXYZ, whatever other important acronyms will help you make more money and avoid you getting fined by the government. 
Download the first chapter of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, today. Visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to get started. Okay, welcome back. My guest today is Dean Shapiro, an expert in online privacy, a topic that you better make sure you understand at least the basics of, or you could get fined, and you may find yourself one day with your Facebook ads no longer working, and you don't know why. So, Dean, tell us about some of the regulatory changes that have been occurring and what pretty much anybody with an online presence of any size needs to be making sure they do to comply and win in this more regulated world. I think there's no better time for your listeners to be paying attention because everything is pointing to a headwind of changes in privacy, much more privacy in this calendar year in 2021. So very brief history. I find, Like I said before, I find this stuff sexy. I want to bore people. But quick synopsis is in 2018, the European Union, the EU, passed really the first modern privacy law, GDPR. Uh, and it gave consumers complete control over their data. GDPR is still probably arguably the strictest on the planet of privacy regulations. It said you have to consent. You have to say, yes, I'm okay with this business taking my data. And that business owner has to give you full control over your data. You can you know, request access, deletion, opting out of data targeting. Really, the consumer is now in the driver's seat of their data and how you can use your data as a business owner. Fast forward to 2020, California, again, United States, these things happen more at the state level, at least initially. California passes the first US privacy bill. Similar to GDPR, not quite as strict. One of the main reasons it's not as strict is that everyone is opted in by default. So they have to opt out. So basically, they get to your website, business as usual, but you have to have these processes and forms in place where someone could say, you know what, I'm actually not cool with this. Take me out of your retargeting audiences, for example. That's where we are through Q4 of last year, let's call it. And then something very interesting happened on the marketing channel uh, side of things, which we've alluded to a few times now. CCPA became, quote unquote, real in January, enforceable in July, six-month grievancy period. Of 2020 or 21? Of 2020, sorry. So last year, CCPA went into place January 2020. It became enforceable July 2020. Immediately after it became enforceable, the major marketing platforms like Facebook and Google said, you know what? We don't really want to deal with this. We really can't deal with this. So if you want to advertise on Facebook or Google, or obviously Instagram being part of Facebook, you have to be compliant. And you have to update your website with these new technical signals that let Facebook or Google know what your compliance status is, whether each and every visitor on your website has opted in or has remained opted in or has opted out of data targeting, of their data being used in any type of marketing campaign. And if you don't, we're going to penalize you. Right now, the penalization is specifically Facebook, Google's letting it slide. We expect Google will do the same thing this year, where they're basically saying, if you don't tell us your compliance status, we're not going to show ads to people in privacy regions, states with privacy bills. So right now, it's just impacting California. Tying it, so that, that's a big where, market in the United States. I don't think so anyone listening would say, oh, if we only use our, lose our customers in California, that won't be a big... I mean, if you said Delaware, maybe. <laughs> but California, <laughs> no. That's a huge portion of the US economy, but go on. 
No, exactly right. So, I mean, it obviously depends on the the business, but most businesses have a giant presence in California. And when these marketing restrictions went into place, I kid you not, we had businesses come to us that were heavily concentrated in California, and they lost eighty percent of their sales overnight because they just disappeared. They didn't know how to manage these compliance things, so the the impact can be dramatic. So, I'm hearing you say a couple of things. I just want to summarize. One is that you need to be adding certain technical signals to your pages so that when Facebook goes and scrapes your page, it sees them there and it's essentially your way of communicating to Facebook that you are compliant. And then I'm also hearing you say that if you collect customer data, you need to add some features to your site that actually allow them to log in and go to some area of preferences or something where they can literally say, I want to download the data you have on me. I want you to delete the data you have on me that this is stuff you have to build into your website in order for you to be compliant. Have I summarized that correctly? Yep, that's exactly right. And what we're seeing trend-wise is both of those things continuing exponentially this this year. So if you want, I could jump into some of the trends too. Yeah, I do. But I just want to ask you one or two more quick questions. So if I have a business in New York, which I do, I'm not in California. I'm not in Europe. How do I know whether... I need to be concerned about this or not. Yeah, so it's actually has nothing to do with where your business is located, but rather where your customers are located, because this is a right given to, at the moment, residents of California. So the thresholds of CCPA, from I guess you could say most all-encompassing to most specific, is if you have 50,000 site visitors in a given month from California. Most mid-market businesses, mid, uh, mid-sized, growing businesses, obviously larger enterprise clients, they'll hit that criteria pretty easily. The next is, and this is a, a very like catch-22 type of clause, but it's if you make over half of your revenue from quote-unquote selling data, that's what the law says. An important distinction is a sale of data under the CCPA regulation does not mean I'm you know, selling someone's email address on like the dark web at all. It means you're, you're monetizing someone's data. In the law itself, it specifies behavioral targeting, targeted advertising falls under that jurisdiction. So to summarize, if over half of your revenue comes from data-driven marketing tactics, let's say Facebook targeting, you have to meet CCPA. And then the last one is, which is the largest, is if you simply make over $25 million in revenue in a year, in a calendar year, you also must meet CCPA-compliant standards. No matter what the other ones say. So if exactly. you're a company with more than $25 million in revenue, you don't even have to look at those other criteria. You've got to comply exactly. for anyone in California. And California, though, if you're not compliant, Californians being pretty cool about it, right? They're not like giving you a hard time if you don't comply with the laws. I know they're very laid back there in California. They like to surf and stuff. So have I got the right idea? They're really not that worried about it? The last year has been so chaotic because of COVID and the complete disrupt, you know, disruption of global economics and everything. I think the California AG has a little more to deal with the last couple of months. So that's why we haven't really seen too much uh, traction yet. Although most people in the privacy world believe that a lot of regulation and, and fines will be issued in the next several months. And that's because the new administration, Kamala Harris, she was one of the architects of the CCPA when she was uh, serving in, in the California Senate. So we expect that with that new administration coming in, you'll see a lot more teeth at the California Attorney General's office now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, also, let's face it, states are hurting right now, right? So you got to figure that every state's going, where can we, where can we raise some revenue? Exactly. And, uh, so looking back on stuff like that is very often what states do. And I know I've had many clients, uh, the um, ACAPA guidelines, which pertain just to uh, children, Children's mm-hmm. Online Privacy Protection Act, which was passed quite a number of years ago. Uh, I work with many retailers and other online children's media companies who have been fined and been fined heavily for violations that are very narrow and very, very often unintentional. You know, they come in and they look closely and they say, oh, you know, on this one site, you did this one thing that you're not supposed to do, Mm $50,000. So it's not just those that are, and, and you know, especially if you're a big company, it's not just the ones where they feel that you've been egregiously ignoring it. Even if you're compliant in a variety of areas, they're finding areas where you're not compliant and coming in and issuing fines. And of course, that makes sense because that's how you get people to comply with the law. But also just to be completely practical, when states need money, which clearly they do now because all their tax revenue is declining, one of the things they look at is say, what big companies can we find? It's such the reality. And that's the other side of things. Like I really do. And that's like, this is anecdotal, right? I don't know. I, I can't say this for sure, but I would imagine exactly the scenario you just described because states need more money. Here's a brand new bill. Especially if it's like most people are not compliant yet because this is so new. There's a money opportunity for uh, you know the, the states that the issue finds on this. So I definitely yeah. think you'll see that this year. Now I want to make one. I just want to issue one caveat, one little asterisk on all this. Dean, you're not an attorney, right? I have no legal. Okay. I am a tech person who knows a lot right. about privacy. It's about exactly. it. Exactly. And and likewise, despite my parents' ambitions, I am not an attorney either. <laughs> so uh, we're here to give you the best knowledge that we have about some of the things that you need to look out for. Dean obviously supports clients in their compliance with these laws every single day. But just the standard you know, caveat, consult an attorney in these areas in terms of laws for your particular business, your industry, where you're located. Please don't take anything on this entertainment podcast as being actual legal advice. Please don't come sue me is really what I'm saying. <laughs> We're doing our best for you here. But if we, if, let me put it this way. If podcasts are what you use as your legal department, you've probably got bigger problems. So this should be what we're really just trying to do is give you point to some areas that need attention. So please go give it attention. Ask your team, are we compliant with GDPR? Are we compliant with CCPA? Have we asked our legal department whether we need to be compliant? If not, you probably need to be looking at it because unless you don't sell in either Europe or California, which could be the case, but most companies do, you probably need to be doing some stuff and you might want to get on it quick before someone comes along and decides to make some, uh, some nice taxpayer money off your mistakes. Well, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, Dean's going to give us the most important to-dos that you need to be doing now to make sure that you are compliant. He's also going to let you know how you can contact him if he's somebody that you specifically want to try to get some help from. Can't get enough of winning digital customers? You can find even more content and video versions of the podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Visit wdc.ht slash YouTube to subscribe. Uh, Welcome back. My guest again is Dean Shapiro, expert in online privacy. He's been telling us all about some of the things we need to be watching out for to make sure that we don't get bit either by the government or by Facebook, Google, or other online platforms that are starting to create problems for companies that aren't complying with new privacy regulations. So Dean, you've told us a lot. What I want to do in this last segment before we wrap is just give you an opportunity to summarize for us and add in any other things. If you were giving advice to someone who's an executive running some part of digital, a large company, 
what should they do tomorrow? What should they go do? What should they be asking their team? What steps do they need to be taking to make sure that they're ready for this already here world? And also what seems like it's coming next, which is, as you mentioned earlier, more compliance, more crackdowns, and perhaps a spread of some of the uh, regulations that are part of CCPA, which currently only covers California, but which could in fact start impacting other parts of the country as well. Yeah. And you know what? Let's start with that because I, I think that sets the stage on like why you need to take this seriously right now. California is the only one that really exists. Nevada has one too, a little less impactful, but there is a series of state by state bills coming out this year. The most aggressive is, you guessed it, New York, another highly populated state. So I'm guessing between California and New York, most listeners have a lot of customers. New York's is not passed yet at the time of this podcast. So we'll see what it ultimately looks like, but it's shaping up to be even more aggressive than CCPA, probably more GDPR level of enforcement, of restriction. So we're seeing this is not going to be an isolated issue. It's New York and I think it's 10 other states right now have proposals. Washington actually is close to passing one. That was recent news the last few weeks. And we'll likely, again, tying it back to the current administration, Kamala Harris has been very involved in privacy. Most privacy experts believe there will likely be a federal privacy bill this year. So we, this is not something that's going to go away. It's going to ramp up. How can you best protect yourself with this yeah. ramp up? And what should you do? Here's the two of the most important things uh, I think will set you up for success and, and mitigate any negative financial uh, events. The first is what I alluded to before data mapping. Understand organizationally, and this is not easy, as, as easy as it sounds. It takes multiple teams being involved. Understand what you're collecting and where it is. When you get someone's email address, where does it go? Is it encrypted? Who has access to that? What other softwares have APIs that can access that email? Understand where any data, consumer data flows from ingestion to all of its potential storage points. That will help you in any type of audit that might occur or any consumer request that might occur. Then you'll know where that data sits and that you'll have a far easier time aggregating it for delivery, whether that be for audit or, or consumer request. And I would guess that there's a lot of benefits to doing that. I mean, I work with a lot of clients on trying to create a more effective customer experience. And one of the challenges we often have is we want to use customer data in various ways, but it's in 10 different places and they're not necessarily all connected. They may not all be keyed together. So getting to the point where you really know where all the data is, is I would argue the value of that, what you're describing is almost a secondary value. But if that's the main reason you do it, that's great. But once you've got, you have to have that anyway, because otherwise you're really at a loss in terms of being able to use that data to get the best possible intelligence about that customer, to be able to serve them in the right way, et cetera. And then I guess your point is a regulator is going to want to know, okay, if the customer says, delete all my data, do you actually have a system that goes and seeks it out and finds it wherever it is in whatever system that you've put it in and make sure all those records are cleaned up? Mm -hmm. Have I got the right idea? That's exactly it. And, and actually a few, uh, multiple customers actually have, have said the earlier scenario you just described where it's actually kind of a good thing anyway, because you get a more unified view of your customers. So like the output of that is kind of a win-win. Like you, you handle, you know, you, you handle any regulatory obligation at the same time. You're much savvier, you know, because of it. 
It's it a makes great me think of the um, KYC regulations that hit the banking industry a number of years ago, yeah. know your customer regulations, which were actually designed for anti-money laundering to make sure that banks had some obligation to know who they were dealing with before they provided services like transferring money to offshore accounts and whatnot. Banks had to spend millions of dollars to be able to comply with those regulations. But the good news was that made them get their data house in order. And then they use that data to more effectively target credit card offers or new brokerage account offers, whatever else. And they actually found in many cases that it pays back when you don't get fined millions of dollars, <laughs> but it also pays back because you can apply it to marketing in ways which generate new revenue. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, I, I see the, that's a perfect parallel. Ultimately, I think privacy, if done right, it can be a very good thing for your organization because you just you take better account of what's happening. So that's exactly it. And then the other important step, I think, to take for any organization, so you're not blindsided, is start accounting and attributing how much revenue is coming from, uh, you could almost say, risky tactics, data-driven tactics, things using customer data. For anyone, any uh, businesses who are very reliant on Facebook targeting, for example, how much of your revenue is coming from retargeting campaigns? And then what risk level are you looking at to your bottom line? If anything happens to those retargeting campaigns, because you can't leverage customer data because you're not compliant, things like that, you, you know, replicate that across any other medium. It doesn't have to just be Facebook or Google because those are the ones that have enforcement tactics built in right now. I think in the very near future, any medium where you're bringing in data will have similar enforcement metrics, similar standards you must follow or you won't be able to use it because that medium does not want to be liable. So make sure you understand what data is driving revenue and prepare yourself accordingly to make sure the money will keep flowing in and you're in compliance or you're in compliance with those channels or you have the ability to get in compliance with those channels quickly. Yeah, and I want to add a nuance to that. I, I think there's sort of two flavors of that. And one you've been talking about a lot already, which is that you're going to need to do certain things in order for those platforms to be willing to allow you to target people. And those are some of the steps you can take to avoid the negative consequences. But in addition to that, with new constraints being placed by Apple and by others on browsers and on other platforms, I think we're also going to see certain tactics in terms of how third-party data is used and things like that that may be key to some companies' targeting methods, which are going to go away, or at least the way in which they work today will go away. I'm sure there's always going to be somebody trying to figure out what's the next generation of it, but you may have certain tactics that you use that you rely on on revenue that you can't fix as easily. And I don't mean it's easy to map your data and to send the right signals and all that. You could take those steps, but it may be even more problematic. So understanding the changes that are coming down the pike from major players in response to concerns about privacy, and then being prepared with some alternate marketing strategies, because you may have some tools taken away from you in the coming 6, 12, 18 months that you can't as easily turn back on as sending the right signals. And to you say about how risky, and by risky, I understand you to be mean, not that they're inherently risky, but they're risky in the sense that they're an important part of your business. And so if you lost them, that would be a big risk. In some cases, you just need to be working on alternate marketing strategies because some of the things you do today may evaporate sometime in the next 6, 12, 18 months. A any thoughts about that? No, that's so true. Yeah, by risk, maybe a better term is at risk, which is uh, probably more applicable you know, right. way to think about these things. Yeah, and, and maybe a, a good closing point and, and a third tip in relation to exactly what you're describing. 
is this sounds corny. It's not. I mean it in full sincerity. Know your customers better. Own your customer data because it will depend. It, uh, it will reduce your dependency on Facebook's data on your consumers or another channel or another vendor's data on your consumers. If you can own that, if you can have better data points to drive your own personalization, whether it's in email campaigns or on-site experiences, that's something that will be difficult for another platform to take away from you. My advice is increase your relationship with your consumers so you could target better and drive your own and, and really be in control of your own future better. Well said, well said. Well, great note to end on. Thanks so much. This is a lot of information in a short period of time. And hopefully for some folks, we've just had them add a couple things to their to-do list to say, whoa, I better ask somebody about this in my organization because it's something that maybe wasn't being focused on. So Dean, thank you so much for being here. If someone wants to get a hold of you, I know your company provides consulting and other services in this area. What's the best way for them to find you? Absolutely. Feel free to check us out at invisit.io and you can field any requests. And if your listeners have any specific questions and want to reach out to me personally, by all means, you can reach me at dean, D-E-A-N, at invisit.io. Well, thank you for that generous offer. And we will put those both in the show notes. Uh, with that, thank you, Dean, for being here. Thank you all for listening. Hopefully, this has been very interesting for you. It has been for me as well. Sometimes we're always focused on the shiny object and the exciting new capability we want to put forth, and we have to make sure we're covering our butts, right? So today has been a Cover Your Butt podcast brought to you (laughs) by Winning Digital Customers. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen. And visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal bestselling book that inspired the podcast.